0: Okay, so we are on week six, and I wrote the Puritans and the Separatists, but we're mostly going to focus on the Puritans. As we were chatting before class, I talked about perhaps we will follow this up with a with a class on the history of Christianity in America, which which might help us cover some of the, the Separatists and the Puritans as, um, as colonists and how that had its impact in America. I think that would be an interesting study. A little bit of review. So... Um, This is up from a couple weeks ago. Go ahead and erase that. But um, the Protestant Reformation, which we've been studying the last couple months, um, was really focused on five issues, if you remember. And we call them, sometimes call them the five solas. And sola means only. And in all of these um, ideas, the only is what's operative. Because the Catholic Church believed in grace and faith and um, all these sorts of things. But what the Protestants were saying was it's only. So, sola gratia is grace alone. That We're saved by grace, not by our own efforts, not by works. And we're saved by grace through faith. Sola fide. We're not saved through the sacraments. We're not saved through our efforts. We're not saved through adding these different things. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Probably... Most foundational, and I do yeah, I feel like these two have to go in order, uh, and then the last one has to go last, but I don't know about the rest of the order, how much it really matters. But really, where everything went back to in the Protestant Reformation is sola scriptura. And when we were talking about Luther, I don't know that Luther had this idea when he began. He was trying to reform the church, he was pointing out, um, uh, aspects of the church that were corrupt and needed to change, but it came down to an issue of authority. Could you take the Bible and say the church has deviated from scripture, or does the church get to say what scripture teaches? And that's really where the the debate was with Luther and with Calvin and with Zwingli, and, and as we'll also see in the English Reformation, as we saw last week, and we'll see a little bit this week, although this week that will be less the focus in some ways in terms of authority, but in practice it will be. So, sola gratia, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, sola scriptura. It's the scriptures alone that are authoritative for faith and practice. Fourth, sola Christo, which is, it's Christ alone who is our mediator. It's Christ alone um, who we are saved by. Um, And then the last one is sola Deo Gloria. That salvation is for God's glory alone. That our lives are lived for God's glory alone. The church is for God's glory alone, not for not for itself. And then, just to kind of trace where we've been, we talked about kind of a in an introduction the factors that led to um, that led to the Protestant Reformation. So we talked about how the, the printing press the, the the printing press was key. Before the Protestant Reformation, there had been a lot of people. Who had spoken out against corruption in the church? Who had spoken out against certain doctrines in the church? But those ideas really stayed within the church, which within the ecclesiastical authority. It wasn't disseminated to popular to the to the populace. But with the with the printing and the, and the uh, invention of the printing press and higher rates of people being able to read, then these ideas could be disseminated to the people, and it had a much larger impact than people like John Wycliffe or John Huss. So that, those, those factors are important. Also, so we, then we moved and we talked about Luther. We talked about, oh, we didn't talk about Calvin yet. We talked about Zwingli, Calvin. And then last week, we talked about the English Reformation, which led us to talk a lot about politics. Because we're going back and forth in the English Reformation between different kings and queens. And, you, know, you have Catholic a Catholic queen, Mary, you have the Protestant King Edward and Elizabeth. Um, So we're moving further into the English Reformation, and today we're going to talk about the Puritans. Now when people talk about the Puritans, I think largely, um, I'll try to hand out notes for people who walked in after I started here real fast. Anybody else miss them? Okay. I think when we talk about the Puritans, people largely have negative impressions. Maybe maybe high school English with uh, Scarlet Letter, Nathaniel Hawthorne, or things like that. When you guys think of the Puritans, what what comes to your mind? Scarlet Letter. Scarlet Letter, okay, there we go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anybody else? Hmm?
1: Yeah, like the Mayflower, like, you know, escaping England. The escaping England. Yeah. And that's
0: really where, by the time we get to the end of today's... Um lesson there's going to be a large large largely they're fleeing England, and the Puritans are out in England by about seventeen hundred for the most part their impact still somewhat felt, but yeah they are going they're gonna largely leave England, which does kind of drive us to the history of of Christianity in America, but you know we're not going to get there today so any other thoughts when you think of the puritans Puritans mostly just and judgmental. And very
2: missing the whole point
0: to me of the gospel. Yeah, I think that is largely the impression of of the Puritans. The Puritans are these very harsh, judgmental people. They miss the point of the gospel. They're focused on following a bunch of rules uh, for sure. And there's some truth to that. We'll see some of that. There's a reason why Puritanism dies in England. And in a large part, it has to do with their their attempt to legislate morality in a way that's really going to backfire on them. It really is going to backfire them. But also when we think of the Puritans the Puritans, one of the reasons even though I I think we should learn some lessons here from the Puritans um, I think there's there's some negative examples here that we can learn from but the reason why they focused on that goes back to some of these other points that we've been making that scripture is not just for the clergy or for the church Scripture is for the people, right? And the Christian life, similarly, is not just for monks in a monastery, but the Christian life is something that all Christians should strive for. And I think that this is what the Puritans really believed in. They wanted to see transformation in individual Christian lives. And I think they went the wrong direction sometimes. They made some mistakes. There are some things we should learn from them. Um, But I also think there's some positive things we should learn from them. So I want to grapple with both. This is not a hagiography class where we're lifting up Martin Luther. we talked about Luther's faults too. We lift up Martin Luther as go thou and be little Martin Luther's or Calvin's or Zingley's or Puritans. But there are some things really to admire and some some things that that we have inherited from them that we should keep. And then there are other things that we need to be cautious about that we need to make sure we don't make similar mistakes. So I want us to keep those things in mind as we think about the Puritans. It's different than a class (laughs) in the Bible. If I'm teaching about the Bible, you you don't get to say, well, I think that's wrong. (laughs) The Bible's authoritative, right? But when we're teaching about the Puritans, you can say, hey, I think that's wrong, and you might be right. So anyway, keep that in mind as we think about the Puritans. Who were the Puritans? So now I'm finally in your notes. So basically, the Puritans were those in England, this is an English movement, and again, part of the reason we focus on the English movement is, um, you know, in terms so of the American church, we, this is a lot of what we've inherited, so it, this is part of our history, part of it is understanding the church in America, understanding ourselves, but um, they, were, they believed in reforming the Reformation. The Reformation in England had not gone far enough, and as you remember last week talking about the English Reformation, a lot of Puritans fled England during the persecutions by Mary and, and others, and do you remember where they went? Holland? Some of them went to Holland. Um, they also went to Geneva where John Calvin was. So many of them, when they come back when the persecution ends, <laughs> they want to see Geneva in England basically. They're, they're inspired. This especially happens in Scotland with John Knox, um, who we talked about a little bit last week. But it also happens in England. So if you remember your geography Scotland is north of of England, now it's all part of the United Kingdom. Then they were separate countries, except they kind of united with James, but we'll get to that. All right, so they, they want to create another Geneva like Calvin. So they're, they're largely, the Puritans are largely Calvinists in their theology and in, in their inspiration and their roots. But they're not a united movement. There's a lot of, I, when, when people talked about the Puritans in England, uh, John Milton, for instance, if you know him, he wrote Paradise Lost, he wasn't even a Trinitarian. Um, So I I would put him in the realm of of a heretic in some ways. Uh, Well, in some ways, absolutely, if you don't believe in the Trinity. But he was was somebody who believed that we need to continue to reform the English church. Whereas on the other hand, you'd have people who are very orthodox and all that. So the Puritan movement in, in England was a large movement that basically said, we moved away from Catholicism, but there's further reformation that needs to happen. That's basically what the Puritan movement... Was what, what united them. They were also united around their passion for scripture. So they read, they studied, they preached. Um, sermons sometimes among Puritans would go as long as seven hours. Can you imagine? Yeah. Seven hours? If you guys ever looked at the clock and Pastor Jay has gone an, an hour? You know, it, we're not Pastor Jay, a service has gone, not Pastor Jay, an hour and 15 minutes. Long. (laughs) This is so long. (laughs) Seven (laughs) hours. Can you imagine? Um, I I put here. I didn't put the quote in here. I wanted to read this to you about the Puritans preaching. If I can get there, I think this is what I. Yeah. I'll get to this in a second. But yeah. So not only they preach seven hours. If, if I if we started preaching seven hours here, I, I do imagine. I, I know you, we're all really love the Bible and we love to hear preaching, but I do imagine we'd start to see something of a of a drop in our attendance, right? But there were times where people would be preaching. There'd be this this pastor. The story is told. He's two hours in, and in the middle of his sermon, he apologizes preaching so long. And the people say, no, go on, go on, go on. Because they were so hungry for scripture. It had been forbidden to them. They hadn't had the scriptures. There was a time period where it was God. Now they have the scriptures again. So don't hear it in seven hours in this sort of like legalistic sense. There was a hunger for God's word in England. It had been taken from them. It's been restored to them. And and the people were, many people were longing from it. Um, Here is... A story about a Puritan preacher, um, ta- uh, John Rogers. His nickname was Roaring John Rogers. Um, in this sermon, he Rogers falls into an extop- ex- Sorry, I messed up that word. Expostulation with the people about their neglect of the Bible, and in it he personates God to the people, telling them, "Well, I have trusted you so long with my Bible, and you have slighted it. It lies in such and such houses, covered with dust and cobwebs, webs." And you dare not to look into it. Do you use my Bible so? Well, you have no my, my Bible no longer. And he takes up the Bible from its cushion and seems as if he's going to throw it away and carry it away from them. But then he turns back and impersonates the people of God, falling down, down on his knees and crying out, Lord, whatever you do to us, don't take your Bible from us. Kill our children, burn our houses, destroy our goods. Only spare us thy Bible and take not away thy Bible. Then he impersonates God again to the people. Say you so. Well, I will try you a little longer. Here's my Bible for you. I will see how you use it, whether you love it more, whether you value it more, whether you observe it more, whether you practice it more and live according to it. But by these actions, he put all the congregation to so strange a posture that he never saw any congregation in his life. The place was a mere bocum. The people, generally, as it were, deluged with their tears. He told me that he himself, when he got out, was to take horse again to be gone and feign to hang a quarter hour's Quarter of an hour upon the neck of his horse, weeping before he had powered to mount. So strange an impression was there upon him, and generally among the people upon having been thus expostulated for the neglect of the Bible. So this this is the this is the Puritan attitude: is we have to come back to love, value the Scriptures. That this is where the Puritans start. So it's not just have the Bible and the Bible be the authority, but there's this drive for the Puritans for us to live according to the Bible. And for regular, ordinary people to be reading, valuing, loving God's Word. So this is, if you want to understand the Puritans, I think I think that's where it starts. I think they're going to make some mistakes, but I, I think this is where it starts. And I think that's something that we should also emulate in our churches. Not just have our Bibles. We take this for granted, don't we? Yeah. We haven't had the Bible taken away from us. You haven't gone decades without hearing preaching from God's Word, unless you chose to. But... In this context, there's this hunger and there's this thirst because they had been without it. Okay, so going back to politics, the Queen of England, when we left off, well, I think we we did see her die, but going back, is Elizabeth. Elizabeth I, and Elizabeth I is really a powerful monarch (laughs) in a lot of ways, but she is trying to, to kind of walk this middle line. So England had gone back and forth between Protestant and Catholic, and she is a convinced Protestant. But she wants a Protestantism that's acceptable to most Catholics, or as close as possible. She wants a united country. So this is really important to her. So you have Catholics, you have Protestants in England, and she, she really likes the high form of worship. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today ends up having to do with what should worship look like. And she's keeping it, the terms of the day, popish practices. That's what they would call it. It's popishness. It was, that was a word. They invented it. So it's too Catholic. So many were not pleased at this attempt to find a broad brand of Catholicism that's attempting to be palatable to Catholics or those with Catholic sympathies. Um, many of those who had been exiled and seen Calvin's Geneva uh, mourned the popishness of the English Church. So a few things that bothered them: the Church of England called their ministers priests. Priests they wore priestly vestments. They still used the sign of the cross at baptism. The laity still knelt at communion and received wafers instead of bread. And that may not seem like a big... Why why does it matter wafers or bread? Well, it came back to, and this is Calvin, if you remember when we talked about Calvin, fought a battle on this, that wafers didn't have any crumbs. So it came back to this kind of thing that the bread itself is is the body of Christ, or at least it's this sacred object, and you can't afford to have any crumbs fall off of it. So a wafer doesn't have crumbs, and so a lot of a lot of people with catholic sympathies would argue for wafers whereas zwingli who sees the ordinariness of bread is part of the point when he instituted protestant worship he replaced wafers with bread calvin kind of followed that same suit he used actual bread so we don't if, if we started using wafers or crackers or little pieces of bread i don't know how many of us would notice but it mattered in their day. There's a reason they cared about this. Is what is this? And what are we doing when we do communion? So the fact that they used wafers instead of bread bothered many. Um, they maintained practices such as confirmation. And there's this whole question. Uh, that this is a question that goes back to Sola Scriptura. Luther and Calvin uh, disagree on this to some extent. But should you get rid of things that are not necessarily contrary to Scripture... But they're outside of Scripture. There's a question. So, what is how do how do we how do we interpret sola scriptura? Do we get rid of non-biblical practices, um, or and only have practices instituted in Scripture, or can we maintain some things that are not expressly in Scripture but aren't anti-Scripture? You guys get the point. So, um, confirmation. You don't see any confirmation in the Bible. That's not instituted in Scripture. Some Puritans felt that should be removed from the church because it's outside of Scripture in that sense. Elizabeth, though, she's she's by conviction a Protestant, very much a Protestant, Uh, but she really liked tradition. This is her word. She wanted none of this newfangledness in worship. She wants to maintain the traditions in worship. Um, But the Puritans were convinced that the church must always be in the process of reformation. So from Puritan perspective, The Reformation is never really over. It's always this attempt to bring the church more in line and more and more and more in line with God's word, whereas Elizabeth likes traditions and likes some of the higher forms of worship. So they're going to butt heads. So, also, to the Puritans, Reformation didn't stop with Sunday worship. And I think this this is an impulse in churches like ours that continues, right? That is worship just on Sunday. No, it's not. It should it should extend into our daily lives. So for the Puritans, many of them, they felt like if the church does everything right uh, in the worship service, but individual lives are not being transformed, then we, we haven't completed the Reformation. Again, This should translate into our individual hearts and our lives. So some Puritan past, pastors, Richard Baxter is an example of this, began the practice of visiting and preaching to individual families. He would go house to house to house down the street and, and spend an hour with them preaching and, and trying to help them to understand and love God's word, help them to understand the gospel and basics of justification by grace alone and faith alone. It's not just enough to preach on Sunday morning. This has to translate into the individual lives of believers. Um, now, the negatives about the Puritans are also somewhat true. So some of the Puritans reforms did get ridiculous and were ridiculed. If you read William Shakespeare, he sometimes makes fun of Puritans. Um, and actually, part of the reason is Puritans were trying to get rid of the theater. <laughs> there was a time period where they did. So they were. They, there was a reason that you know Shakespeare and, and such didn't like them. So Acts one fifteen, it says, Peter stood up in the midst of his disciples, so some Puritans said, Ministers must stand in one place while they preached because of because of this passage. Peter stood up in the midst of his disciples and preached he didn 't move around, so pastors should not move around um, or the, there need to be two Sunday services because of numbers twenty eight nine spoke of two offerings every Sabbath, so this needed to translate into two Sunday services. Um, many Puritans also began to argue for the in a Presbyterian form of government rather than the Episcopal form of government. If you don't know what that is, just a real brief explanation here. So an Episcopal um, form of government really is very hierarchical. So the Catholic Church is Episcopal, and you have the um, the Pope at the top, right? And then the card- Cardinals and Bishops and all the way down down the line. Um, so it's ruled by, by a hi- hierarchy, whereas a Presbyterian form of government is... W- we're kind of in, the, in between Presby, uh, Presbyterian form of government and a, um, like a Congregationalist form of government. But a Presbyterian form of government is ruled by elders. So you have elders amongst the church that makes the decisions. Although in Presbyterian proper form of government, you also have groups of elders that rule for groups of churches. We have elders rather than um, pastors and deacons, which we could talk about some other time. But we have elders but we don't have a hierarchy of elders whereas the Presbyterian church government did have some form of hierarchy of elders anyway we won't go into that in detail but there's a reason why this matters because who's the head of the church in England you remember the king. the king so who doesn't who doesn't like the idea of you know moving to a Presbyterian form of government well the queen, in this case, and later on, the king. And that's really, it's going to be King James where this is really going to come to a head because King James really likes to be in charge. Um, He doesn't like people questioning his authority whatsoever. So this was all beginning to sound like anarchy to Elizabeth. Again, monarchs don't like anarchy. So she begins to suppress the Puritan movement. Um, The Archbishop of Canterbury, John Whitgift, required that all ministers adhere to the Book of Common Prayer, and those who refused were suspended. Someone, and no one knows who, but if you want to make friends um, with the king and with the archbishop, this is not the way to go. So someone with Puritan sympathies began secretly publishing tracts attacking Whitgift, accusing him of hosting homosexual orgies, and called other bishops dunghills and servants of Satan. All right, so that's not a friendly response. In response to that, the government actually begins going to Puritan houses to search for this secret press, and also to kind of look for any kind of dissension. Um, so Puritans are also, meanwhile, being lampooned by the playwrights of England because they're trying to ban theater. And, and why are they trying to ban theater? Like, who who loves theater? I do, but part of it has to do with um, maybe you know this, but in those in those days, you didn't have women weren't, weren't never acted. So you had men acting female parts, and so um, it really was seen as like a hotbed of homosexuality and kind of all kinds of sexual decadence and, and, and things like that. So there was a lot of things about the theater that had moral implications, at least to many, in England. And so, anyway, but yeah, read Shakespeare, he doesn't like the Puritans. You'll see it. He makes fun of them. And so the, the whole idea of making fun of Puritans has a long and noble I suppose, heritage. So, in 1603, Elizabeth dies, and James sixth of Scotland becomes James I of England. So, King James. And a lot of the Puritans were very excited about this, because James grew up in Calvinist Scotland, um, and was the hope that his Calvinism would translate into England. So, he's moving south. Now, he's king of both Scotland and England. Um, so they, they petitioned him to hold a conference. They want to reform the Book of Common Prayer and make other changes to popish practices of the Church of England. But James was really suspicious of Puritanism, especially Presbyterian forms of government, where I'm no longer the head of the church. James doesn't like that. James likes being the head of the church. Um, and he was afraid of giving back too much power here. So he, one of his big things was the divine right of kings. If you've heard of that, that this is something that God gives to kings, that so he's in charge. The only Puritan proposal that he really did like was commissioning a new Bible translation, and part of the reason was the Geneva Bible, it, which was the the Bible of, of England at this point, had in its notes, um, I, I think, this was an Acts where Peter said it's better to obey God rather than the church than uh, obey God rather than men, but had in its notes. Um, saying that you disobedience to a bad king, advocating for disobedience to a bad king. Well, James really hated that. Now, there should not be anything in the Bible notes that say you should disobey a king in any, any case. So he really wanted a, a new translation too. And so he agreed with this and a, a group of scholars translated the, new, the, the, the King James Bible. It was the new Bible at this point. We all think of it as a 400-year-old Bible. This was the new Bible. It was started in 1604, I think. And finished in 1611 but more more developments here that gonna give the Puritans some some uh, power to the government some more acceptance but at the same time they're gonna kind of be they're gonna to push too far perhaps so you guys ever heard of the gunpowder treason um, if you've been in ever been in England which I haven't uh, Guy Fawkes Day yeah. okay so Guy Fawkes Day is kind of like their Halloween in some ways. They they blow off little firecrackers and they go around asking for candy. They say a penny for the guy. Um, anyway, ever heard of that? The Gunpowder Treason was a <coughs> Catholic attempt to blow up Parliament and kill the king. So um, anyway, Guy Fawkes was a, 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 a Catholic, and it was a group of, a Catholic group of Catholic sympathizers because at this point, his daughter, his nine year old daughter. Um, The mother was Catholic, and so the nine-year-old daughter was Catholic. And the hope is, we kill James, we can have a Catholic queen of England again. So there's a lot of politics going back and forth. Uh, We've seen this a lot, right? These maneuverings to try to bring in a Catholic or a Protestant king or queen. So this shifted uh, public and royal sentiment. You try to kill me, I'm kind of a little more anti-Catholic, is James' approach against Catholicism. And this led him to be more favorable... Towards the Puritans. And even gave them high church posts. But he still demands conformity. He is not flexible in the least. Um, One thing he really didn't like was Puritan preaching on Sabbatarianism. So the Puritans believed no work, no games on the Sabbath. But, you know, the Sabbath is Sunday. Um, But James wrote the Book of Sports. knew Sports was going to be a conflict in the church. It was. So in the Book of Sports, he declared all sports on Sunday afternoon acceptable unless they were... It, unless cruelty to animals was involved, then it, you couldn't do it on Sunday. But other than that, all sports were acceptable, and he required all ministers to read this, including Puritan ministers who believed who believed and preached you shouldn't be playing sports on Sunday. So this this became a point of conflict, and if you didn't read it, you could be fined um, or arrested, perhaps. So this this antagonism and refusal to compromise leads to a divergence in strategies. So some, we know this story from American history perhaps, some left for Holland and then later for for America, looking to build a Puritan city on a hill or a Puritan New Jerusalem. Um, If we do a class on American um, Christianity, we'll definitely start there. Others stayed in the church and tried to reform as best they could Others remained in England, but separated from the Church of England, became separatists. So we're starting to see a division of, of strategies here, because James, he's Protestant, he's more friendly in some ways than Elizabeth was, but he's not flexible at all, and he's he's willing to beat you up if you disagree with him. But it gets worse. Charles, I don't know, if you guys know your English history, you know, these are, these are tumultuous times in England's his, history. For some reason, I... I don't know why we don't talk about this more often in American history because it's during the colonial period, but these this is pretty important. So Charles I and the English Civil War. So James died, and his son Charles becomes king in his place. And there were rumors that Charles was a secret Papist. He had tried to get married to the daughter of the King of France, of uh, uh, France, of Spain. I didn't put this in the notes, but. Uh, remember the, the Armada that tried to conquer England and turn it back Catholic? Well, that created an uproar. What, are you going to bring the Armada back? <laughs> so that didn't go well, so he canceled that. But then he married Henrietta Maria, who is a Catholic French princess. And that doesn't go well. And she brings to England with her a whole troop of priests, Catholic priests. So people are really suspicious at this point. And he's going to roll back the very few reforms the Puritans were able to get in the first place. So he's, we're going back to a more Catholic form of worship. Um, so he wants to bring the practice. This isn't about theology proper, so I'd say. As so, much, so many of these battles are about practices and about what the priests are wearing, how you do communion. How, whether there's a, there, you kneel during communion. Whether there's a rail that separates the clergy and the laity during communion. I mean, so for us, um, and maybe this is something to think about and talk about later, for us, we don't really think so much about the forms in that sense. We kind of just roll with whatever, right? But this was important. This was important to them. To them, it signified other deeper theological issues. So for us, we tend to kind of ignore these sorts of issues, but this was pretty central to them. So... Um, also unpopular with the Puritans was the appointment of William Laud. So Laud required people kneel during communion. He installed communion rails that separated laity and clergy. Remember, so many of these battles had to do with the the priesthood of the believers among Protest, Protestants. Lack you know, doing away with this high, this strong differentiation between priests and the, the laity and the and the clergy. Those sorts of things altered the priestly garments, and they looked a lot more like Rome's priestly garments now. Um, so, popular opinion is starting to swing back towards the Puritans as there's this fear that Charles is turning England Catholic again. Um, and so they call these reforms deformation, right? There's the Reformation, this is the deformation of the church. We're going back. So, in 1637, I, th- I actually think, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but if you know the song Three Blind Mice, I think this is a reference to this. Uh, I, I think, so, three Puritans who had publicly criticized the Queen and William Laud had their ears cut off. Um, one of them was branded on his face. Um, they were dragged through the streets and they were put in stocks. And kind of what you're supposed to happen when you're put in stocks is all the people come around and they throw stuff at you. But it actually kind of backfired on Charles because the people were mostly sympathetic with the Puritan leaders here. And so um, this reminded people of Bloody Mary. I mean, we're going back to having a queen of England who's slaughtering Protestants and trying to institute Catholicism. And so public opinion is is really starting to grow against Charles. And Charles does not back down. He keeps pushing. Um, And you're going to see this doesn't work out for him either. So he tries. So England is under the Church of England, right? But Scotland is Presbyterian. And they're not part of the Church of England. And they have a whole different form of government, a lot more Calvinist. So he wants to bring Scotland into the Church of England. And so he provides a, uh, institute the Book of Common Prayer and high form of worship. When this happened, there was this one church where this happened, and this woman picked up a table and threw it at the priest. And a whole riot started in the church. So the, the next week, the guy brought pistols. <laughs> it's like, you're going to do the Book of Common Prayer, like it or not. So this group of Scottish Calvinists, they got together, they made a covenant, we talked about covenants and marriage, but I don't think you signed your marriage covenant this way. They signed it in their own blood that we are not going to this far be part of the Church of England. And so there's this real strong, no, you, hey, try to mess with us, right? The William Wall of Scott, Scottish. They're not going to put up with it. So they're going to reject these new forms of worship. And Charles sends two armies into Scotland, and they're Irish Catholics. He hires Irish Catholics to invade Scotland. So you, you think about American history... George hiring German uh, German soldiers to you know, the Hessians to fight the the Americans. Well, this, this whole idea of bringing foreign powers to fight your own people that really doesn't really make you have a whole lot of confidence. This guy's really your king. Cared about you, right? So, but the Scottish defeated both armies. So now you're in England, and you're starting to think, hey, we we can fight back against this guy too. And the English Civil War starts. So it was led by Oliver Cromwell, and the Puritans and Allies defeated the king in 1649. Charles was executed. They killed the king. They cut off his head for high treason against the people. William Laud, the Archbishop of Canterbury, was also executed. They killed him too. And England was no longer a monarchy, it became a commonwealth for for a little while. Alright, I've talked for a while. I'm ready to keep going. But any, any thoughts or discussion at this point? I hadn't opened it up. So tumultuous times, right? <laughs> a lot going on.
3: Yeah. i wanted to say, um, I think what you're saying, like with the Puritans, and I'm a preacher, glory be to the Lord. I think, um, like I've been to Catholic churches, mm-hmm. and I've been to a, Baptist, uh, a Protestant church. I think the danger even now is the Holy Spirit, or we're children of God by faith. Mm-hmm. So um, we need to rely on the Spirit, Like, right? and I'm trying to say, he said Sunday is the Sabbath.
0: Well the yeah, that's what the Puritans believe. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So
3: that's not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. And I think when I hear so many stories about Peter was buried upside down, this someone was boiled in these things don't exist in scripture. Mm-hmm. So the danger in that is a lot of times that knowledge puffeth up. Mm-hmm. There's a mystery in Christ that when we when we follow God, there's mm-hmm. some, nobody, there's nothing in the Bible that says Christmas is on December twenty fifth. Mm-hmm. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe it, it doesn't. These things really, if we get in for information rather mm-hmm. than love and faith, mm-hmm. it could, it doesn't benefit to us to a long degree, mm-hmm. right? We need to. I think we we'll be more efficient to focus on things of love because mm-hmm. these things. Someone can say, I believe this, I believe that Revelation, I believe this. But we don't know, and a mm-hmm. lot of we know in part and we prophesy in part, mm-hmm. so I think it humbles us as humans so we you know we just man that if we just okay, whatever the Lord says, we go about it. I do think one thing with Catholicism is the reverence mm-hmm. I go to a lot of churches, I think we've gotten too loose in some mm-hmm. and then, but reverence, but beyond ritual, I think it's a balance, but mm-hmm. I think even with you no, I am not trying to say. I go to different churches, and I see a lot of book. We have to be careful because men write books, right? Like you said, the, the Bible is authoritative. Mm-hmm. The Bible is true, but I have, I can't I can't read a whole Christian book because we gotta take we gotta choose to believe it. I am only forty five, so whatever someone writes, even a Bible, we gotta choose to believe it. Mm-hmm. Like if we write a, a history of 2020, if Nancy Pelosi wrote and I'm not into politics. <laughs> President Trump wrote right. it. You have two very this. different histories. Right. Yeah. We've got mm-hmm. very two different yeah. histories. So mm-hmm. we got to really, we never know if it's true. So mm-hmm. when we believe about the Bible, we say God is inspired by God. It's true,
1: mm-hmm.
3: right? So those we still choose to believe that. So I think it's a danger. Even with Christian books, you get different pastors or people is it really true in, mm-hmm. in the whole eternal truth, you know what I mean, perspective? Yeah, I
0: think there's a lot to say with, um, with what you're talking about in terms of humility, right? That sometimes we become more confident about our, our own opinions than we ought to be. And that's what, something I really, I don't know if those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago talking about Calvin, that I really appreciate about Calvin is that Calvin wanted to stop at where Scripture stopped. Right, so there were there were some things that Scripture is clear about, and there are other things that Scripture is less clear about, and we have to, we want to be careful that when we we preach God's word, this is the task of preaching God's word, is that we're accurately um, saying what the Scriptures say, and you talk about Christian books, Christian books, books that are talking about God's word or theology, that the attempt should be to accurately portray what God's Word say. And we need to be careful about too many of our yes. own opinions going in there, for sure. Good.
3: And I don't, I don't want to hijack the conversation. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I know I've seen the text, and what's the other Arminianism and Calvinism? Mm-hmm. I'm not either. But even with someone like John Calvin, you know, God, Bible said it right. Mm-hmm. God so loved the world, the world. Mm-hmm. He sent His only begotten Son, and who so believe in it Him. It's His will that none should perish. Mm-hmm right will mean and desire right so some of the things calvin wrote it's not true
0: yeah any any, any of these people truth. we're looking at and that's and this is important as we study this class yes. is that calvin and luther and zwingli and the puritans there's a lot there's a lot to be admired about them and they're our brothers and sisters yes, right sir, in yes. christ and so there we have a kinship with them and um, and the spirit was in them too uh, but, uh, but we we need to be able to look at them with a responsible eye of admiring where they were in line with God's word, but also at the same time being being somewhat critical here, um, and knowing that they can make make mistakes, as we were, we will. You had your hand up.
2: Yeah, this doesn't have to do with this comments, so I appreciate those, but mm-hmm. from what I understand, just a little bit, that I've understood in reading about this also... Is that a lot of this going back and forth between the Catholics and Protestants had a very big basis in the economy, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there was no separation of church and state. So when the Catholics were in power, mm-hmm. they owned a lot of yeah. land. They owned, mm-hmm. lot of yep. they owned a lot Monastery of farms. They owned a lot of
0: Monastery land was yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And so if the king gave up Catholicism and killed the priests, now who owns this land? Yeah. So there was a mm-hmm. lot of flipping back and forth right. because the king had to remain very, very rich. Mm-hmm. And if the people decided, oh, we didn't want the, the church owning all this land, it was a big financial thing. They gave up a lot of stock in real mm-hmm. estate. Yeah. So this was a big mm-hmm. factor in their yeah. motivation.
0: Absolutely. We talked about that a little bit last week with Henry VIII. Because when Henry yeah. VIII kicked out the church, he took the, he took the he lands the and treasure. he sold it. <laughs> yeah. He made a lot of money off of it. And when yeah. it flipped uh-huh.
2: back, all those people came in right. and said, this belongs to me. Right. It, did, and it didn't go he, back to the church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it, a yeah. lot uh-huh. of arguing
0: and bloodshed. Yeah, there is a confluence. And, and today, we're struggling with these things, too. Um, it's different. We're struggling over different issues. But how do we as the church relate to politics? And we see dangers. And this is one of the things we need to learn from history. We see dangers with too close of an association with political powers. And we see that throughout church history. But at the same time, we don't want to be on the sidelines completely. I mean, the, the church has, has a, I think, a responsibility to be a prophetic voice against evil in society. And not just be in our own little enclave. And that, that's, the, that's, I think, this the balance of our kingdom is not of this world but that we are put here for a reason. We're not just put here to hide off in you know, a little corner somewhere. And, and that's one of the things from history, I, I, one of the things I want to look at with the Puritans today is I, I think they overreached in places. <laughs> and I, I think that really backfired. Um, and I think we can overreach as Christians, um, but we could underreach too. And so those are the, those are the dangers that we're trying to, to avoid and that takes wisdom, and I, I think that takes listening to each other, uh, most ultimately listening to God's word, and seeing where Christians have done this well and where they've done it poorly. We have our own context that's different, <laughs> but there are things we can learn. So, yeah, good.
3: It's, I, and I, this, is, this is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I have a sign in my car. With, I don't know if you've seen it. I was just holding it on the corner. It's so an election sign for Jesus. I didn't I hear what you just said. The, What was the the sign saying? It says uh, "choose." It looks like an election sign, like "Oh yeah, glory to the." Mm -hmm. But I think, so deep you said that. I was just looking at Amy Comey Barrett. I'm Mm -hmm. not into politics as much. I think I see in people there's a powder kegness. I'm talking about current day. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to people outside. I don't support Black Lives Matter. I'm black. The organization, Mm -hmm. but I've been roughed up by police this year as a traveling preacher. Mm -hmm. Um, But. God and guns. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of Christians that are like super Trumpers. Mm-hmm. I'm from New York City. I'm mm-hmm. familiar with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. If you give me a try I wouldn't vote for anyone. that's for abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when I... I've never heard a president of the United States open a State of the Union and say, before I say anything, I want to give honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I think it's like what you're saying in this. I think the power of man, even if God gives him the position in our human Adamic nature is so pulling that we pull away from the pure mm-hmm. right because now I see so many Christians even are so focused like I have a challenge I'm out on the corner for Jesus depends on you get people with present campaign signs but deep down it's like they think a the man is, a man told me the other day I was in he says Jesus is for tomorrow he says I'm a Christian this candidate is for today Mm. And I think mm. it's mm-hmm. it's deep when we really. I think that's a problem. Yeah, the preoccupation mm-hmm.
0: with. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: No, I agree. No, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. That, that that's a problem, right? Yeah. That that's a that's a lack of, um, of understanding that we're part of a different kingdom. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we should have a political voice, and I think we should take political positions, but we we need to be careful of where our home and our citizenship is ultimately. Good. I'm going to keep going here, but thank you for that. So the age of Oliver Cromwell. So again, English history, heads are rolling, right? <laughs> Literally, <laughs> English king's head gets chopped off. The yeah, Archbishop of Canterbury's head gets chopped off. So Oliver Cromwell becomes the Lord Protector of England and Scotland. Oh, I wrote of England and Scotland and England. Sorry, typo there. But <laughs> Temporarily, beca- um, oh, it's actually not a typo. Lord Protector of England and Scotland and England temporarily became a commonwealth rather than a monarchy during this period the puritans were busy doing what they could to reform the church according to their convictions. so this is a golden opportunity for the puritans the king is gone oliver cromwell is not a puritan but he he affords the the puritans quite a bit of power here Um, so from 1643 to 1649 puritan theologians met and you probably have heard of this they composed the westminster confession of faith this is when this happened They remade the Church of England as a Presbyterian rather than an Episcopal Church. The Book of Common Common Prayer was replaced by the newly written Directory of Public Worship. So we're we're making some big changes here, and these are the things that they, they want to happen. They've been aching for. During this time, England also experienced a period of religious tolerance, which was kind of unheard of at this point. Um, Jews were allowed back into the country for the first time in 400 years. So before the Protestant Reformation, kings of England had kicked the Jews out of England. They were allowed back into England. So in some some ways, these are things that we would really, you know, say, this is great. These are good moves. But um, we, we look back at history and we think, of course, of course we should have religious tolerance. That's obvious. Why wouldn't we? But if you had lived then, you might have struggled with that concept a little more. And People are going to struggle with this concept for, for somewhat understandable reasons. We'll put it that way. So um, this, this was welcome, but it led to the birth and prosperity of radical groups. So, so the Quakers, um, the, there's some, some things I appreciate about the Quakers, but there's a lot that I don't. But one of the things that Quakers taught was the, the supremacy of the inner light over Scripture. So there's, there's the inner light and the outer light. Scripture is the outer light, but the inner light is, it takes precedence. The Muggletonians, I wonder if, if I, I have no idea if you guys know about Harry Potter. Potter. I know the word muggles is in there. I don't know if it has anything to do with the Muggletonians. I don't know. But they taught that Jesus alone was God, meaning that the Father and the Spirit weren't. They even taught that when Jesus died, that Elijah and Moses had to take over for a little while because Jesus was dead um, and, and kind of act as God so that the universe... Could keep going all right so we have some radical group the ranters they believe that sin was an illusion because to the pure all things are pure so they would perform public acts of nudity and blasphemy just to kind of you know shock people and say everything is pure everything is good um the quakers i were not in this time period but also practiced naked preaching <laughs> again i'm not let's not do that all right so uh so these movements really confirmed the fears of many in England, right? People, people have always said, if you have religious tolerance, crazy things are going to happen. Well, it's happening. We had naked preachers out there who are blaspheming God. This is terrible. So anyway, this, it would lead, religious tolerance leads to intolerable chaos. Meanwhile, with their newfound power, the Puritans often overreached in attempts to legislate Christian morality. Theaters were closed all over England. Adultery became a capital crime, publish, publish, uh, punishable by death. Swearing, Sabbath keeping, uh, Sabbath breaking, celebrating holidays, including Christmas. Um, and h- how do you know if you celebrate if you're cooking meat on Christmas? That's that shows that you're celebrating Christmas. Um, anyway, they be, they replaced holidays with fast days. So do you you're supposed to fast on Christmas and fast on all these days rather than have. Holidays. So, you know, the Catholics had feast days, the Puritans have fast days. You can guess which is more popular. Um, Anyway, and began, many began longing for the good old days. (laughs) Oh my goodness, when England was ruled by a king and not religious fanatics. And you can kind of see how there's an overreach here. I I really appreciated Pastor Jay's sermon last week, thinking about um, spheres of influence, right? The church and the government, the family, and that sometimes these these fears overreach and i've seen it i've seen it in churches i don't remember if he talked about this probably not i don't think he had time but i've seen it in churches where sometimes one family kind of dominates the whole church and it really can be ugly right and it's the overreach of the family or pastor jay's example last week where the the family the the church can dictate things to families that's really the family's responsibility um or government overreach well here is the church overreaching into legislative morality And it it doesn't go well and it's it's odious to people who don't agree with them and don't want to go this this sort of direction so Oliver Cromwell died in 1658 he actually had the crown offered to him he refused it but they go back to a monarchy so uh, the crown was offered to and accepted by Charles II who was the son of the, the the decapitated monarch and so in 1660 England once again becomes a monarchy, and Charles II, like his father, had Catholic sympathies. Uh, He actually converted to Catholicism on his deathbed, so it's not just a rumor. He actually did. Um, He reimposed the Book of Common Prayer. He forced all clergy to declare that it contained nothing in it contrary to the Word of God. So he published a new version of the Book of Common Prayer and said all pastors have to say nothing is inaccurate in this book, A full one-fifth of clergy refused to make this declaration, mostly Puritans, and they were removed from their positions, and he wants to make sure that they're not still doing this on the side. So he outlawed religious assemblies, other than the Church of England, and more than five people, Um, and the travel of any of these defrocked ministers within five miles of their former congregation. So if you were pastoring in Tacoma, you could never come within five miles of Tacoma again. That sort of thing and um, people were thrown into prison or even killed for mostly in England they were thrown into prison in Scotland he was harsher they were killed um, if you broke this so throughout his reign Charles continued to crack down only Anglicans were allowed to attend English universities such as Oxford and Cambridge so the Puritans were prevented really from being educated and uh, Puritanism, Puritanism began to die in England by 1700 you don't really have Puritans being talked about anymore they're they're gone. Now they continue and their influence continues in the United States. And if we do that class on Christianity in America, we can talk about them. But never again in England. So this is kind of the, the death of the Puritans in England. All right. I want to talk, I I this was much larger. I had several people that I was going to talk about here, but I didn't want to- I was like, a third page is probably a bridge too far. So I shortened it. And here's two. I gave I didn't I didn't read them. Shame on me. But the very first page. John Owen. John Owen is a terrific writer. And I just put two quotes from John Owen that I, I thought were good. So that's my little nod to him. But we are never nearer Christ than when we find ourselves lost in a holy amazement at his unspeakable love. I like that. And uh, John Owen also had a lot to say about sin. Be killing sin, it will be killing you. I also think those, those are good. But Richard Sibbs. Uh, Richard Sibbs, I think, is kind of represents the best of the Puritans in a lot of ways. Um, am I pronouncing it right? Richard. I thought you said Richard Sims, oh Richard Sims, okay <laughs> no uh, no i didn 't say Richard Sims, Sims, okay, so he was one of the one of the largest concerns of the Puritans in England was that England would become Protestant, um, but that people weren 't experiencing individual personal transformation this is This is something I, I I also sympathize with is this whole idea that you can get things politically right, but your heart 's not transformed. Mm. That Christianity become a political movement. We want our Protestant party on the throne, rather than we're thinking about the gospel and having our hearts and lives transformed. And I think that can happen on both the left and the right. I think that's something to be careful of. And this is one of the things that Puritans were interested in. So political things are going on, but it's not about getting the. It, it, not saying there's no. We shouldn't be involved in politics. I think we get we should really. really. That's part of the taking a stand on the issues of the day. But that's not what we are as the church. That's not our kingdom. And that's something that the, 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 the Puritans felt. So, Protestantism easily became a political stance, losing its essential message and experience of God's saving grace. On the other hand, Puritans were also worried that the focus might become the response to the gospel rather than the, the gospel itself. Uh, the danger might be that the Puritans would focus on godly living and lose the proclamation of salvation as an act of free grace on God's part. That we're so focused on making sure that we're living right, we're keeping the Sabbath, we're doing all these other different things, but we're not focusing on the gospel. So Richard Sibbes is a uh, Sibs was a prominent example of a Puritan responding to this problem. He was known far and wide, kind of funny nicknames, I put them in there because I thought they were funny, um, but he was known as the Heavenly Dr. Sibs, Honeymouthed, and the Sweet Dropper were some of his nicknames. <laughs> so, anyway, he was instrumental in the conversion of any, including Richard Baxter, who would become a well-known Puritan in his own right. So he, one of the things he's well known for is a series of sermons on Matthew twelve twenty, entitled The Bruised Reed, and in parentheses, that's the verse. A bruised reed shall he, that's Christ, not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment into victory. I put it in the King James because that's what he would have used. But in these sermons, Sibbes is ever focused on Christ, not the sinner. Our confidence should not be in our flesh or in our performance, but on God. So, he, And he related to this to the Trinity. The Father loves the Son, and we are in the Son. That we are saved, we are in Christ. So because God is love within himself, we can be confident of our own being loved by God because of our union with Christ. So the solution to sin, and I, I think this is good, is to increase one's love for Christ. Not working harder. Not trying to follow laws or rules, but to increase your love for Christ, to draw near to Christ, to cling to Christ, not to work harder. And as we love Christ more, we can truly stop sinning from the heart. It's not just something that's external. It's something that that our love for Christ increases. And then John Bunyan, who you may know, he's kind of a Puritan separatist. Um, He's a Puritan, but then that whole Charles II banning preaching thing, he was one of those banned preachers. Well, he's actually a tinker. He would travel from city to city selling things and preaching as he went. He spent 12 years in prison for illegally preaching during the reign of Charles II. He would carry this large pack on his back because he was selling thing, things town to town and that got him thinking about sin, right? As this heavy weight, this burden that, uh, that you would carry. So he also struggled with moralism, this whole idea of am I performing well enough? That, that, that whole idea. And he was set free from it Uh, an experience that's somewhat reminiscent of Christian in uh, Pilgrim's Progress. I want to read that to you, too. Here. But one day, as I was passing the field, that too, too, with some dashes on my conscience, fearing lest yet all was not right, suddenly the sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven, and me withal, I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand, there I say, is my righteousness, so my righteousness is in Christ with Christ, so that what, wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, He wants my righteousness, for that was already before him. I also saw moreover that it was not my good frame of heart that made me righteous, that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness was Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever, not now. now did the chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my affliction and irons. My temptations had fled away, so that from that time, those dreadful scriptures of God left off to trouble me now. Now, when I home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. And again, it reminds you of that, that moment that Christian, if you know Pilgrim's Progress, comes to the cross, and the burden rolls off his back. But at this point, I'd like have a little bit of time for discussion, I, I see there's maybe other areas that you're interested in, I see kind of three directions we could go, one is the importance of form in worship, I think that's something we don't think about very much or very often, and perhaps we could focus on it too much, the fights that we saw in the Puritans were, were large, but how much does that matter? Legislating morality, that goes back to what we're talking about in the church's role, and where where are these lines? Where do we Where do we pass laws to legislate morality by saying that hey, we believe that certain things are really harmful to the, the community and this is a form of loving our neighbors. Or where are we trying to push in on people's consciences rather than, than, than trusting in the gospel here? Slow reform. So you see some of the some of the Puritans are trying to slowly reform the church from within and others are breaking off from it. Right? Where where is where are those lines? Or just any thoughts that you had on the last... Were you raising your hand? No? Okay. I thought I saw Alright, any thoughts on what we were talking about this week or on any of those topics? This is open discussion time. Well, I'll, I'll through,
3: start open. Throughout,
1: I've been thinking about how we all have such a tendency to get off balance. Mm-hmm. To fall into extremism. Right. Um, even Christ wasn't that. Mm-hmm. Um, the functioned in love and mercy, mm-hmm. and yet there were times when he was very firm and s- strong and what some people might consider legalistic these mm-hmm. days, you know? And um, it is a, the human dilemma. Mm-hmm. That I think that we just go so extreme, we get off balance, and then we lose our tes- testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, we lose our effectiveness, because mm-hmm. we have become an extremist, right. you know, in people's eyes. Mm-hmm. And yet there has to be a stand. There right. does have to be. That uh, submission and whatever to the gospel and to the, the biblical truth. So, yeah, I, I think it is so important to stay close to Christ.
0: And I, I really think that's the answer. I, 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 my question would be, in knowing, are we are we off track? Mm-hmm. Is where is our focus? If our focus is on Christ, mm-hmm. or is it on changing politics? Is our focus? To, where is our focus? And I, I think that's a good test for us of where our eyes are at. That doesn't mean we're always going to get it perfect. Yeah, it's
1: like, what are we mm-hmm. feeding ourselves right. most of? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that becomes the dominant
0: force. Right. And I, I get concerned mm. with, um, and I, I think I, I tend to see this among older Christians, not that it can't happen among young, younger Christians too. I'm just, so I'm making a stereotype. But we're, um, if we're, we're so... Um, we're Feeding our souls with politics so much, and mm. we're watching Fox News or CNN or whatever it is 10 12 hours a day. Mm. <laughs> mm. That's a problem. Mm. I'm not saying it's wrong to be understand that the issues of the day or to take a stand, or mm. but wh- wh- what voices are we listening to, and, and ho- how are is, we being fed? Right, the
1: yeah. end result of doing that mm-hmm. can be fear, yeah. And then the Lord has right. said. Where is mm-hmm. your faith? Right. No, why are you fearing? Where's your faith?
0: And, that, and that's a question to ask ourselves mm-hmm. in our media consumption or any other thing. I, I I picked on media consumption, but is this drawing me to love Christ more, drawing me closer to Christ? Or is this drawing me to fear? Is this drawing me to any other right. other things? Where does this, where's my focus? And ultimately,
1: we mm-hmm. lose our effectiveness.
0: I think so. They lost in the end. Yeah. And at least in England. Mm-hmm. The, the Puritans lost their influence, yeah. and they died out. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good, good comment.
3: Yeah. And I think it's what the dear sister said. I think so much of our experience as Christians is supposed to be suffering. Mm, mm-hmm. I think when we talk about politics, most people, like lobbyists, they vote for who's going to make their life better. Yeah. And even in that sense, when we are going things to make us better... Mm-hmm. Right, like wh- I want whoever to win who, who advances the causes of Christ the best. Mm-hmm. But I think most times in America we're not used to suffering. We have a mm-hmm. comforted lifestyle. Right. Yeah. So to su- and suffering, if we look in the Bible, makes us better. Mm-hmm. But how many of us are right. in our flesh wanting to suffer? Mm-hmm. And I think I really think it's a big problem. I'm seeing people now. I think it's so the social construct of race, and you know, race is an issue for years. I go up and down in Washington. There's not many black people, and most of the most of the people I know are white. And I love everybody, but I think it's real. Even white people who I talk to personally, who like me, I could see the, you know, I could see the edginess in people mm. now mm-hmm. on both sides yeah. because we've not we've not really really went into Christ where we might have to suffer, we might have to die. I personally, I don't, I don't, I don't wear the mask you know so that's we talk about like the, our governor I don't have anything personal against him but I think when you say we're basing this on science and reality and when you don't acknowledge God mm-hmm. we get you know but it's a part of suffering that we have to go sometimes stores don't let me in some do I have to go without bread sometimes you know it's but it's a part of they're killing our family Christ in Christ and other countries mm-hmm. so I think it's the whole base of politics can be self-promotion too mm-hmm i'll help if you vote for me i'll help you right and i think right yeah. so i want to yeah. i just think it's going to be about christ and it is mm-hmm. that little it's subtly off yeah so it's subtle. I, mm-hmm. i'm not against you know government government right. is biblical mm-hmm. i don't think politics is yeah. good thanks
0: anybody else any thoughts on legislating
1: morality yeah uh maybe just an overarching you know mm-hmm. it's been really interesting studying the history of mm-hmm. the reformation and we can critique some of the motives and some of the mm-hmm. doctrine but i i can't help but admire on all sides uh, uh, a lot of times just the fervency yeah. of mm-hmm. the conviction and the, right. the strength of commitment mm-hmm. uh, of people to their faith yeah and and sometimes they're people, dying here right, right? yeah on yeah. mm-hmm. um, on all sides yeah. and and mm-hmm. a lot of it is with a heart um at least striving after faith in, in Christ. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe uh, sometimes today we fall into a different trap of just being casual,
0: right, about what
1: we mm-hmm. believe.
0: Yeah, we, we have our faith in this little small segment of our yeah. of our whole person, rather than being central. And that's what you see with the Puritans. It's it's central <laughs> to who they are. They're, they're pursuing it with all of their heart. So some of that. Maybe to us, we see it in a negative light because we think, oh, you should tampen it down a little bit, you know? Yeah, good. Any other thoughts on the Puritans or, yeah?
2: It seems to me that as I'm listening to you talk about this, mostly the people wanted to be right. Each group wanted Mm -hmm. to force the issue Mm -hmm. that they were right, and they had a grip on rightness. And... That's not what the Bible is about. The Bible says in the very beginning, we're not going to be right. But our greatest commandment is to love Uh, others uh as Christ loved us. And when you're so focused on being right in history Uh, or in now, you lose the idea of just loving uh others. And that is, to me, the the worst thing about Christianity today. When I speak to Uh, uh non-Christians... They're like, well, how can these people who are supposed to be loving everybody be so hateful?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's really no, no yeah. answer. So we have to give up the ability to force others right. to be right, mm-hmm. as I see rightness, right. but to focus on love. And,
0: they, and that's, I think we do see kind of at the end of the story here that mm-hmm. the, the Puritans somewhat became odious in their yeah. context, right? And there's a, there's a, and that... Goes along with the whole legislating morality thing, of pushing things in a certain direction. But Yeah, they, even let's even concede that the the moral stands the Puritans took were right. By trying to force that on on other people, it did become odious, and it became what they became known for, rather than the gospel, which is what they, many of them wanted to be focused on. Were you raising your hand, Adam? Um, yeah, just a.
4: a a little bit different point. You mentioned it in here that out of that time period came things like the Westminster Confession uh-huh. of Faith, the Long yeah. Baptist Confession of Faith, and I wonder if you sense because I think that's something that's really you know outside of you know one wing of American Christianity today in the Presbyterian Church that we don't we've I think we've lost in in greater the greater evangelical church is these confessions mm-hmm. and that I think there is some value in having a common understanding that's obviously it's not scriptural, but it's biblically based and gives understandings on issues, whether it's Uh God's sovereignty or providence or the Trinity or what, and ask whether it's, you know, the confession itself or a catechism that answers these common questions and then gives people a common understanding of those issues where I Mm -hmm. think in some senses, churches were don't, I mean, they, ha- they they may have a statement of faith, but a lot of them are very short. Honestly, uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah, don't ant- so I. I think there is some value there. I think there, you know, you have to be balanced in that, and that you're not that you're leaping freedom for things that aren't, you know, aren't mm-hmm. expressly written in scripture. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think there is value there, and it's just I'm curious from your perspective on. Your feeling on that, and why, and why, you know, as, you know, a church in America, we've gotten away from that, virtually. Mm. Um.
0: Yeah, I think I, if I'm understanding your question, there's there's a lot of different answers to it in different ways. Part of part of it, whether you see this for good or for ill, it's just a fact, yeah. is that the church in America today is a lot more splintered yeah. than it ever was in the time periods that we're talking about. So you have these. You have different parties. You have these large groups that kind of get together and, and say, this is what, what we believe. And so there's the Puritans, and there's the Catholics, and there's the Anglicans. And then there's some weird, crazy groups, right? like the ranchers. But, um, I mean, in America today, we have such a wide spectrum churches that are independent, like we are. We're not part of a denomination. You have Methodists and Presbyterians and Catholics and uh, Anglicans and Episcopal. I mean, the whole spectrum. And people move in and out of these churches pretty quickly and, and easily. So the effectiveness of this, this sort of creed, it's different. And uh, I, so I, I think there's a historical reason that those things are less, <laughs> less effective. Now, sometimes among Presbyterians, for instance, like in PCA, yeah. they're, uh, Presbyterian Church of America, they're going to have a very strong emphasis on the Westminster Confession still. But then again, you're having people that move from churches that are PCA to churches like us, to churches that are more independent. So there is a, there's a less, it's less effective today. And so I think a lot of churches have a broader range of, of theological opinions. I, I think there's, there's some things that are good about that. Yeah. I, I think there are some things that perhaps leads us to not know the truth as well as we ought to by that. And I think that's really the strength of having these sorts of doctrinal statements is you know, that's we're affirming what's what's true and right, and um, I I think it's easier. It's we're more apt to have a very shallow understanding of of our faith that goes along with it. I, so yeah, there's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, and again, that's how how much should the church where, where does where does our realm end? You know, on personal convictions and things. Where should we say this is? These doctrines are necessary to be a part of us or these doctrines are areas that we can disagree on. There's both of those doctrines, both kinds of those doctrines. But just the very nature of the church in America today makes that tougher. I don't know if that answers your question, but there's no. a lot of different directions I could go with that. All right, we are almost out of time. But any last like quick thoughts, reflections on... Um, yeah, I, I do think we didn't really have a discussion on it, partly time. It's quarter till... But I, I do think legislating morality is, is a dangerous road to go on. Morality matters. Um, we're never going to force non-Christians to hold Christian values. Um, now, there are some things that it's, it's a matter of society can fall apart if we don't have some some level of, of, of morality and laws and rules. And I, I think that is a difficult balance to reach. I think as Christians have become... Less central in the United States, we have less political power that we're, we're in a place where we're having to shift how do we approach these sorts of things and I think that's part of our confusion in the day and age that we live in that we're shifting from being having more power than we do now or at least thinking we had more power. <laughs> maybe that's not a bad thing. maybe that power wasn't good for us I don't know. Um, you might all have your own personal convictions and thoughts on that.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. In any government and so on, but without without being the church controlled.
0: Uh huh. Right. Right.
1: It's become less and less that. Yeah. I think that's kind of what you're
0: getting. Mm-hmm. at. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I'm thinking about political power too. That as a, as like a voting block or as a large group, that there there was a day not that long ago that Christians could enforce their views. That we're losing that. <laughs> yeah. I've also heard it said that if more Christians
1: would vote.
3: Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But we're a smaller block too.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. La- last thoughts, I gotta close this up. You know, as I witness, I witness to a lot of unbelievers, you know, mm-hmm. minister, and I think what you're saying is it's one of the most challenging things because if I see a teenager's fornicating, usually I would generally I would talk to them about Jesus mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. But if there's those rare quick instances where it's like in their life, as the, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, sin harms. But I think it could go either way, like mm-hmm. in the spirit. But usually, like I know a brother who got fired from his job because he mentioned to someone he never told the gospel to that you know she's trans. I said, why would you say? Have you ever even talked to her about the mm-hmm. gospel? But I think it's, it's individual. Because I think sometimes talking to someone about smoking, something that can help them, they say, oh, I quit smoking, could bring them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I find generally for myself, it's challenging most times. Because if somebody gets Jesus, a lot of those things will just fall away. Right. Yeah.
0: Rather than making mm-hmm. the smoking or whatever issue, the issue. That the, cent- the central issue is your relationship with Christ. That's the central issue. I agree mm-hmm. with that. Good. All right, let me pray for us. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and let you go. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. That's we're really where we want to focus. Um, your word gives life. Um, Christ gives life. Thank you. Thank you for Christ. Uh, thank you that our, our sins are, are not something that we have to pay for on our own. And our merits are not not something that we have to stand on. But that we, we stand on the righteousness of Christ and, and our union to Christ. And we are acceptable in, in your eyes. Father, we, we are so thankful for that, thank you for the grace that you have bestowed on us, un- unearned, unmerited, um, un- undeserved. But um, oh, the riches of the grace of God that we have, Father. We live in a difficult time, and we're being reminded of this in our sermon series and our discussions here this morning. Um, it's difficult because it's it's hard to navigate. It's hard to know how how to live in this world sometimes. And um, Father, give us wisdom. Help us to listen to to one another. Um, help us to most of all listen to Your Word, um, and Father, guide us, um, give us wisdom. Help us to be known for people of the Gospel, uh, people who love one another and love love those on the outside, um, and help us not to become odious, unless unless standing up for what is what is unless standing up for the Gospel makes us odious, Father. We want to we, we suffer we want to suffer for the right reasons and the right things, and we pray these things in Your Son's name and by the Spirit. Amen.